glad you were here today. I got a couple of quick things I need to talk about, and then we'll jump into the message. One, uh, right after today's service is the informational meeting for Israel. So if you have any desire to go, this is like the first step. We'll talk about what the itinerary is, the cost, when, all of that. Probably one of the biggest announcements they'll make about it is, finally, they've dropped the necessity of having to be vaccinated in order to get into Israel. So that kept a lot of people from being able to even consider it the last couple of years. So if that was a block for you, like, um, you know, we just, we're not going to do that, so that eliminates that. They did drop that, um, and I think that that probably opens it up for a lot more people. And if you're interested at all, then right after the service, I need you for about 45 minutes to go through everything. And then going to the meeting doesn't obligate you, but you sure need that information if you're going to make a decision, right? So if you can come to that, um, then we'll do it. If for some reason you already have plans and you can't make it, you can still get the information. My admin, Amy, uh, what would they do? Just contact you? Yeah, so just get a hold of the church. Uh, Huh? No, just contact Amy and that'll... What I was trying to avoid was this conversation that we were, yeah, yeah. Contact Amy if you can't make it to the meeting. (laughs) Um, And then one other piece of information, too, that is not uh, necessary for our message, but uh, something that Chris and I um, uh, are sure proud of, Um, our son David and our soon-to-be new daughter-in-law, Hannah Van Duren are sitting right back. Stand up real quick. Raise your hands. Just look real quick right there. They are married, are going to be married on May the 30th. And we are excited for them and can't wait for them. And um, we prayed Hannah into his life for 29 years. That's how long we've been praying for that. And Hannah's mom and dad. You know, I, I think some of you realize the connection. Our son Daniel. David and Daniel are twins. Daniel married Holly. Holly's sister is Hannah. So twins are marrying sisters. That makes Daniel and Holly brother-in-law and sister-in-laws. And will make (laughs) David and Hannah brother-in-law and sister-in-laws and husband and wife at the exact same time. It's a leech thing. Just don't don't even ask about it. But we love that young woman. We are so excited she's joining our family. We're excited for our son. We think they make an awesome couple. They'll do a lot of good things in missions and in ministry, and um, yeah, we're just, we're really excited. So I had, uh, I had almost messed that up a couple of months ago. David hadn't quite popped the question. I knew it was coming. She knew, but she didn't know when, and I stood up and said, hey, want to talk about something really cool, and David and Hannah and more to come, and I could tell as soon as I said it, David was like, oh, Dad, not again. Uh, so... <laughs> So I said, son, I am just going to shut my mouth until you give me the okay to do it. So I got the okay to do it, right? All good. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Last thing, too. Let me give you an update on what's going on with the building. Uh, Real quick, if you'll pull that that up. So we're trying to raise the last $2 million for the project. We've raised 1.187945, so almost 1.2. is needed. And what we were doing... Um, it, just in case you haven't been here, if you have, just bear with me for the redundancy of it. The chair that we're buying uh, for the worship center and for the youth group, we're buying a thousand chairs in the new building. And we were looking for a way to take that number and to break it down. So at the time, we needed to raise 1.2 million as of two weeks ago. So the chairs were, we just, a thousand, 
you know, divide that by the 1.2 minutes, 1,200 a chair. We just ask people, hey, would you consider buying a chair? Maybe for you or uh, your spouse, or maybe, maybe that's like, think of someone that may show up to the church that's never heard the gospel. So a seed for someone that'll sit in that chair that'll come to know Jesus. And if you're like, you know, is it that simple? I did a funeral yesterday. The one prerequisite that I had, Betsy Shepherd, for those who know, I did Betsy's funeral yesterday, her memorial. The one prerequisite that the family had for me was you've got to give an altar call when you do the funeral, right? Um, not everybody does a funeral that way, but this woman was very evangelistic and very prophetic, and that's what she wanted. So at the end of the, the message, I just said, hey, don't know where any of you are. I know some of you are close, some of you are far, some of you are strangers, whatever the case would be. Let's just talk about what she thought was real, and I gave an altar call. We had about 10, 12 people gave their heart to Jesus yesterday uh, in a funeral. So that's... Someone in my staff asked me why I would share that. I wasn't going to share that, but my point is simply this. Most of the time we assume that, like, you know, that's kind of a bygone era. But trust me, more people are getting saved today than at any other time on the planet, my friend. And all we need to do is be proactive about it. So what I'm saying is not some way just to sell a chair. Yeah, that's important. But I am being the truth. We believe that those chairs and the people that sit in them, they either A, are going to know Jesus or they're going to grow in Jesus. One of the two. There won't be another option when it comes to what happens. So be a part of that. Help us. If you haven't prayed about it, please pray about it if you're ready to do something. I think we sold another 100 chairs last week. So we've sold 300 so far is where we are. Uh, so we got 700 uh, to go is what we're trying to do. And I think, I think we'll get there, to be honest with you. And um, we've bought ours for our family. Um, we don't buy for all of our family because the married ones we don't count anymore. But the ones living in the house. <laughs> the ones that are married need to do their own chair. So, um, buy half a chair. One of our missionaries, uh, John, Larry Good, sent a check back for $600. One of our missionaries bought half a chair just because he just appreciates with us. Yes, Rebecca, yeah, that's right. So, appreciate. Larry's watching right now. Larry, well done. All the other missionaries are not as good as Larry because they didn't buy half a chair. Okay. Just kidding. Um, yeah, welcome to Jubilee. Okay, were there any other announcements that I get covered everything? All right, uh, folks, we're in a, a series, second weekend called The Way Back to Church. We're using this Way Back thing for the first part of the year, and it'll end as we move into um, Easter. What we're doing for Easter, we're going to call it What If?, and so one of the, what, if, what if Jesus didn't raise from the dead? What if Jesus didn't go to the cross? And just talk about what life would have been. Paul said this, we are to be pitied amongst all creatures if there really isn't a resurrection. But there is a resurrection. So we're to be maybe envied above all creatures because we know what the end is going to be like. But we're going to talk about that and use it as a point of pressure. Like, what if, but it did happen and kind of play off of that right there. But we're in this one right now called The Way Back to Church. We're talking about the purpose of the church, not, not church jubilee, although that fits into it, but the church universal, right, all around the world. And I know we have some pastors visiting us today from Columbia who are here that I will meet. Where are you sitting? Danny, I see you. Where's your mom and dad at? Right there. A couple of pastors from Columbia. Let's make those people feel welcome today, too. I have not been there, but Danny has told me uh, that it is a booming church, and your mom has told me that it's just an awesome church, too. Would expect no less. Uh, they created you, Danny. It has to be an awesome church, right? So, um, yeah, just all around the world today, believers are gathering like-minded who love Jesus. The common denominator is not the way they vote. It's not the color of their skin. It's not the country they come from. It's not their politics. It's not their age. It's not the demographic of how much money they make. The common denominator of all people around the world are gathering today because they love Jesus. That's our reason for meeting. 
We are an eclectic church. People come from many different backgrounds. Some of us are older, some are younger, some are singles. Some are close and some are far away. Some are learning right now and trying to figure it out and some are walking that their whole life. Doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum, if you're here and we can agree on this one thing, that we're going to make it about Jesus, then you fit in. I promise you, you fit in. You may look around and go, I'm not sure that I look like everybody else. That's good. The strength is not in looking like everybody else. The strength is bringing you to the table because you love Jesus and giving us a point of view that maybe we didn't have before. So there's strength in the fact that there's diversity in the body, but the main point is we love Jesus. We get that, right? That's what it's about. So the way back to church, I'm going to talk today about unity for community. Amos 3.3. It's this cool little verse. I actually use this when I do um, premarital counseling, right? But it can fit into so many different areas of life. And it just says this. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? It's like you can hang out for a few minutes, but if you're going to do anything in life, if you're going to head any direction, if you're going to accomplish anything, you've got to have agreement about where you're going. Do you believe in that right there? So let's just say this, that people who, when they get married, this is how I use it in marriage, when they get married, you have to be in agreement about the things that you're going to do. You have to be in agreement about how you're going to spend money. You have to be in agreement about whether or not you're going to go to church. You have to be in agreement about how you're going to raise the children. Yes or no? And people who ignore that and get married in spite of that, eventually you're going to face the issue of we're not in agreement. And if you can't get into agreement, what do people call that? Irreconcilable? It's exactly what it is. It's the power of agreement. And so I use it in premarital counseling, but let's stretch it out a little bit. In church, what are we agreeing about? That it's close? That it's convenient? That the pastor wears some cool... <laughs> yes. You know the problem with this? I didn't know Danny's parents were going to be here today. And I'm meeting them. And I just told Chris, I said, why did I wear these Nikes when I've got pastors from out of the country that I'm going to be meeting today? I don't normally look like this. I'm a much more sophisticated person, trust me. Um, that's not true, is it? You're, like, you're laughing because you know it's not true. What do we agree about? So we agree that we like this particular ministry. Do we agree that this school is the most awesome thing we've ever seen in our life? What are we agreeing about? And you can agree on some peripheral issues for sure. I'm not saying that they're not important. But I'm saying that the main thing that we have to agree on has to be Jesus. So, I wrote down five essentials for unity because from unity comes community. And the reason that church is important in your life is not just because... Uh, like, if you think I'm preaching this message because it's self-serving, my goodness... You need to listen to last week because last week is sort of a, uh, an addendum and this is really kind of a part two to what I taught last week. Although I do promise to be a little more gentle this week than I was last week. I ran into a couple at the funeral yesterday who said, Pastor, uh, you don't know us. We've been watching online, but we'll be back this weekend. And I said, oh, that's great. And then it dawned on me, is it because of what I said you watched last weekend? And they said, yeah, but it's not a bad thing. It's a, it's a good thing. And if you don't know... Thank God you don't know. Okay. So, so in unity, the Bible says that's where the Lord pours out his blessing, even life everlasting. So now, I look, I know this is a silly question, but I'm just trying to identify the audience and trying to get you to understand why this is important. How many of you want God's blessing in your life? Yes. Like, if you don't raise your hand, you're a psycho. You want his blessing. You want his blessing. You want it in your finances. You want it in your health. You want it in your household. You want it at your work. You want it in your marriage. You want it when you're by yourself, and you want it when you're sitting in church. 
You want it when you're driving, especially when you're driving, you want God's blessing. You want his blessing. And the Bible tells us all, we're often praying, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. Bless what I'm trying, bless what I'm doing, bless, 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 bless. And nothing wrong with that prayer. Can I tell you a simpler way? Find out what he's already said he'll bless and just do that thing. Then you don't have to pray for it. You are it. You get it. So I'll say it one more time. Here's what it says. There the Lord pours out his blessing, even life everlasting. Where? In unity. Isn't it good for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity? In unity. When we gather, we've got to have unity so that we have community. So I wrote down five things that I think are like the essentials. And then when I sent it to the teaching team, I said, how many more could you add to this? And we could probably come up with 50 essentials. But we need to boil it down to the essentials of the essentials or else this message will just be watered down into oblivion and nobody will remember anything. So let me give you the five things that I think. These are the things that, that this unity, we need to agree on these things because this unity then is where community comes from inside of our church. So number one, I've said it over and over again, we agree, here's the fill in the blank, that Jesus is our purpose. Nothing else is our purpose. We didn't gather here in order to sign people up for how to vote. Voting is important. If you're here long enough, you can figure out where I'm at. I don't hide it, I don't disguise it, but you may think different than that. And I don't make that the thing that is what you have to come to church here and feel comfortable with. You can come to church here, disagree on politics, and we can still love each other unconditionally, fervently, holding on to each other, believing that we are the body of Christ. And that's our uniting principle. So I downplay things that bring disunity, and I upplay things that bring unity. Jesus brings unity in this church. And that can't ever be in question. Nothing else is more important than this In this pastor's mind, Jesus has to be our purpose. That is the hill that I will die on. That is the thing I can't compromise on. Anything else we can argue about. Anything else we can discuss. But that's the one thing that I can't ever compromise on. It has to be about Jesus in my mind. The second one, if you want the fill in the blank, we embrace, listen to this, Scripture as truth. Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will make you When you don't embrace truth, you find that then all of a sudden there are many varying opinions. And if all opinions are equal, then all you have is nothing. There's no ultimate truth. There's no one thing above anything else. And I don't want to elevate any human truth either. My truth is not greater than your truth. I'm saying that the truth of God is above all truth. So I wrote this little statement down. Can you agree with this? And if you can't, I don't want you to get upset. I want you to give us time to show you why this is true. Listen to this. Anything that the Bible speaks specifically about, we must align with. We must align with it. If it doesn't speak specifically about it, then we're free to debate. Well, maybe it's this or maybe it's that. That's why you have a pastor. Thank you, Eric. Now, you know what you're afraid See, what some of you do not realize, because you've been gone, is that I don't stay up here anymore. And I'll be down there in a minute. And here's what's, here's what's made this really difficult for me. Because you used to think if you sat halfway in back, you were safe. No longer. I preach about a third of the message right back there, looking for people who are hiding. So we embrace scripture as truth. Anything that it speaks on directly, even if we're like, how does that fit within our world today? How does it fit within the culture that I'm I'm working? How does it fit within the people dynamic that I have to deal with? The issue then 
is scripture is not a club to beat people. Scripture is a love letter of figuring out how do I reach somebody so that they understand. And what we've done today is we've drawn such, such difficult lines where we just go, hey, it's all or nothing right off of the bat. So let me read a scripture to you that I, I just think this is like a really important scripture. And um, when I was looking for this, this is out of 1 Corinthians. And it just talks about a lot of the things that we see today. And I want you to listen to the whole thing. So like, part of it's like very difficult. And then all of a sudden it has this line in it that I think all, all people who serve Jesus have gotten this. So this is Paul, and he's talking about uh, two Christians, right? Not to the world, and that's important. Folks, a lot of times we take scripture and we think it's for the world at, at, at large and at general. This is written to believers who have surrendered their lives to Jesus. So it may speak about the world, but we're not to take this and then club the world with it. We are to do it amongst ourselves first. And if we can't do it in here, how can we ever tell someone to do it out there? Does that make sense? You get what I'm saying? Right, so this is Paul talking about a lot of different things. Uh, so we'll pick this up. It's 1 Corinthians. It's 12, and then we'll look at uh, uh, 9 right here. No, I'm sorry, 6. Look at 9. Uh, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality or thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheap people. None of these inherit the kingdom of God. And this is the part that I want you to hear. And some of you were once like that. Say it one more time. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Listen to me. We concentrate on that one that might say homosexuality in this world today and forget that it says also people who abuse many other things are not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then we find that we, well, that's, I, I'm in trouble. It's not to put you in trouble. It's to make you realize you need Jesus. You need Jesus. We're drawing, like, you've got to change this. No, you need Jesus. Let Jesus work on those things. Such were some, I was some of those things. But I've been cleansed and I've been washed and I've been forgiven and I've been redeemed. And so now my job is not then to point all of these things out to people who don't even know him. It's to tell people about Jesus. Our ministry, according to Corinthians, is we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, whereby we persuade people, be reconciled to God because he loves you. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. You do the part of telling people that God loves them. Why are we so quick? We've missed a point here. And if you're like, pastor's going soft, I just read it out loud. Yes or no, Mike? Do you hear me? I read it. I believe it. Anything it speaks specifically on, we've got to align ourselves with. Three, we choose love as our code of conduct. Thank you for that huge overwhelming. Wow. Are you still stuck on the other one right there? Are you reading your Bible? When's the last time you read it? When's the last time you read that scripture? So we are quick to say what's right and wrong without any indication. I look out right now, and I, it's, it's like, when, are you reading your Bibles? So we've lost that as CNN and Fox are telling us, here's what you're supposed to believe and how you're supposed to believe it. Stop it. If you're a believer, bow the knee to Jesus. Not to Tucker. And I like Tucker, but that's not Jesus. <laughs> yes or No. I'd mention CNN, but I don't even watch it. We choose love as our code of conduct. 1 Corinthians 13, 
1 through 8 and 13. Dude, I love this scripture. Normally, again, we use it in a wedding. And it's not, it wasn't ever written for a wedding. It was written for the body to live these things out. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but I didn't love others, I would be... Man, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained... Love is patient and kind, and it's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last. One more time, love will last. These three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is So we read that at a wedding, and it's very powerful. Because what we think we're doing is telling a husband and a wife how to love each other, and we are. Keep no record of wrongs. Love unconditionally. It's powerful. It would solve most marriage problems if we would do it. Can I want me to say it one more? Like, it would solve most of marriage problems if we just do that thing. Just love that way. It really would take care of a lot of the things that you're in disagreement about. Love that way. But it wasn't written for people who are getting married. It was written for people who sit in a church that have to deal with treating people who don't feel, believe, act, look like they do. Who come from different points of view who may not know what you know, or maybe they know something you don't know. And we're so sure just to divide so quick lines. Maybe there's not a place in America more divided than the church on Sunday. Not, not just skin color, but just the way that we treat each other and the way that we, if you don't align with me, then you really don't fit here. And we don't have a sign out there that says that, but when they come, we make sure that they just, there's no community there. And we're called to love. And I just told you how. When I was younger, I used to think, God, if you would just tell us. Tell us your secrets. And Paul just addressed that. If I knew all the secrets of God, but I don't love, it's nothing. I used to think, God, if you'd just show up and tell me what to do. But he tells us the simple thing, love each other. And we can't even do that. What good would it do to learn all the secrets of God if we can't do that? And why would he tell us more if we can't? Shake your heads or I'm coming further back in the... <laughs> to love. To really love. It's a wonderful thing to quote at a wedding. It belongs. It's a perfect like, uh, place for it. But it's not the place it was actually written to, to walk out right here. And not just with the person... You, if you love the one that's just sitting next to you, I don't know for some of us that's like, if I could just do that, pastor. <laughs> but for most of us, that's not really the issue. It's to love the one that doesn't sit next to you. And that doesn't look like or act like or think like. So I'm, I'm, you know, I, 
This is like a wrestling match for me sometimes because I know politically, you really do know where I stand. I make the thing even about seeing. You know where I stand. This is not that hard to figure out. You don't have to be very careful because that, that is not my issue for standing up here today. So I really, believe it or not, I really do edit myself. I know it doesn't seem like it, but I really do edit myself because <laughs> that's not the thing that I want you to say that was good about. I want you to say, I heard from the Holy Spirit today. I learned more about Jesus today. I grew in what Jesus had for me today. That's what I want you to say was good about Jubilee. And I hope I connect with you on that. Noah, thank you. Another reason to wear Air Jordan is because I can leap up these stairs. Here's four, if you want to fill in the blank. We believe, listen to the statement, we believe church community is vital. Hebrews 10.25, I read it last week, I'll read it one more time. Listen to this, please. It's so important. Let us not neglect our meeting together. Read it with me. One, two, three. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is what? It's drawing near. He's closer today than he's ever been. One of the things we should do when we meet here is not be afraid of the world at large. Look, what's going on today in Eastern Europe is a frightful thing. I don't know where it's going to end. You know, we live in a day where everything is so instant, like a video game. We think we can control it and we know outcomes. None of us know the outcome right now of this thing, do we? And I think bottom line, it can be a fearful thing, but I think bottom line, it points to the fact the world is not a stable place and it can change and is changing so rapidly and all pointing to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And rather than be afraid about that, this should be the place where you are so sure about what you believe. You are so encouraged about what you believe. You've helped other people overcome fear so that when we leave here, we don't huddle down, but we go out of here like a million beams of light, kaboom, in the world. Not afraid, not scared, not shaking, not unsure. Maybe not able to predict what's going to happen, but able to know that regardless of what happened, God holds us in his hand. Nobody can snatch us from there. I've read the end of the book. We win. You win. You win. You win. You win. It will not end bad for you. You will not be lost. You will not be destroyed. You will not find yourself in a place you're like, ah, you win. This should be the place where you come together and other people encourage you in that. Other people lift you up in that because we know what we believe. We know why we believe it. We know who we believe in. Do you get it? Church community is vital. I'm going to say it one more time. I believe the days that we are headed into Maybe days of pressure. Maybe days of things that we are unsure about. Maybe days where we're just not, we're, we're like, what is happening? The world will shake. What can be shaken will be shaken. So that what is permanent can remain. You are of the permanent. You are of the immovable. You are of the unshakable. You are of the thing that will remain for eternity. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. You are part of God's word. You'll last. You'll be strong. The people that know their God will carry out great exploits. We won't simply survive. 
Mm. So I'm on this kick right now. I don't know what else to call it. If you know the answer to this, by the way, then email me because I would love to find out the answer of it. And here's, um, so I was asking Jake this week. I was asking Terry. I was asking my teaching team. I asked a few of my pastor friends around the country. And here's my question. And I, I don't want a trite, simple answer. I want you to really, if you know, or if you can find me a place where I can find the answer. Why would people in countries where it's illegal to meet together, why would they risk their lives to meet together as the church? Why? So now the easy answer, well, because it's, it's the church. Dude, we, we wake up and go, I could go skiing, I could go to church, or I could watch Russell Wilson lead the Broncos. <laughs> I'm hoping too. <laughs> so we live in a place where church is casual, and there's little cost to it. And somehow we've lost then the importance of it. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not saying you don't value it. I'm not saying it's not important to you. I'm not saying it's not something that you, that's not what I'm saying. Just listen to me. It's one of amongst many things we can choose of. No risk. No risk. But people that have to risk it today. So Iran and China, much of the Middle East. You know, I said this last week. This is a true statement. I think people think I made this up. More people are being martyred for their faith today than at any other time on the planet. You read Fox's book, of Martyr, and you think 2,000 years ago it was tough, or 1,000 years ago. We just live in a place where that's not happening. The house is on fire, but not in our part of it. So hear me on this real quick. So people that are paying that ultimate price for their faith risk not only jail, not the loss of their income, literally the loss of their life to meet together. Why? Why? So I can't figure it out. I mean, I can give you, so they love Jesus. Yeah, but they can love him at home. Okay, here's my real question. What do they know about church that we in the Western world don't know? What have they figured out that we don't know? What's worth putting it all on the line together with other believers that we don't know? And, and just so you understand, may America never face a day. I don't think the answer to this is that the church in America needs to come under pressure so people choose. Not, if you want that, you're a psycho. None of us want that. Now, if we were having another conversation, you asked me, is it possible... Three years ago, I would have said, I don't think that's going to ever be possible in America. But COVID showed me that our nation can be divided in a matter of months. And that people can turn against each other very quickly. Both thinking they're right. Yes or no? Things, civil liberties were taken that I never thought would happen in our country. Yes or no? So I'm not so sure now, Bob that it couldn't happen here. And I pray it doesn't happen here. I don't want to face that here. And we should be praying for that, by the way, too. Which is why I said last week, even if you didn't vote for him, pray for our president. As a believer, you have a responsibility to pray for him. Even if you don't like him, you need to pray for him, which makes that really hard, which is why you have to get your heart aligned with God to be able to even pray for him. 
You did not hear what I said just now. And some of you will just like, well, I'm not going back there. Well, what can I say? If you know the answer to that question, tell me that real quick. Let me just read this to you. This is from the church in Iran, which the government of Iran, man, we look at that. (laughs) Iran is fomenting around the world terrorism. In particular, in the Middle East and around Israel, they have placed a ring of fire in Lebanon with Hezbollah, proxies now in Syria that will fight for the Golan in a very short amount of time, in Gaza, Islamic Jihad and Hamas being funded primarily by Iran and its proxies, but inside of Iran, not the government of Iran, Inside of Iran, one of the greatest church movements is happening today. Thousands of people are being saved underground in Iran, where they risk their lives to meet together with other believers. And I've got this, and I want to read it to you real quick. Do you mind if I read just three paragraphs real quick? In a recent update, Iran Alive Ministries Uh, says this, if one church member is arrested, they will face torture and even death because uh, they've confessed Christ. But if a leader is arrested, the entire church community is at risk. And if the leader folds under pressure and gives up the names of others associated with the church, there's no guarantee that any of their lives will be spared. So you can imagine how I felt when I found out that one of our leaders was recently arrested. I knew that all of their lives were in danger. I knew that the underground house church network we had worked so hard to establish for several years could be destroyed overnight and people, faithful Christian people, could die. Here's the account of the faithful church member who were left behind when their leader was taken by the authorities. Dr. Sherriott reached out to them and asked how they were doing. Are you afraid, he asked. They said, thank you for your concern, Pastor. All of us are praying and fasting for our captured brother every day. Every night, we gather together in a secure location. Every night, we gather together in a secure location to pray and encourage one another. And after we have a meal together and break our fast, we worship, we pray, and we take communion together. Dr. Sherriott was thrilled to see that instead of scattering, they chose together together and encourage one another. Do you hear the word? Encourage one another. However, he was puzzled about their daily communion. Why do you take communion every night? Their answer revealed a deep reality about what they believe. We take communion daily to remember what Jesus has done for us. He loved us so much that he died for us with joy. And we are called to partake not only in his glory, but also in his suffering. And when we take communion, we remember the words of Jesus. I tell you the truth, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That word from Jesus greatly encourages us because as we take communion, here's what we say to each other. This could be our last communion together as well. And if it is, we do not worry because we will take the next communion with Jesus in heaven. With a heart of thanksgiving, we remember the fact that he died for us, but we also renew our covenant with him, professing we are willing to live and die for him as well. This is a quick picture of the meeting of those believers right there. They lost their pastor, but they still gathered together. It's illegal. They all would pay for it with their lives. And yet they gather together. They say for encouragement. Here's 
there's something here. I haven't quite figured it out yet. But Paul says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as some are in the habit of doing, and that when you come together, knowing that the day of Jesus is coming closer, encourage one another. There is some form of encouragement that must be so incredible that people say it's better than even the threat of death. And we live in a day in a church where we think the highest form of encouragement is that the pastor says something that makes me feel good. And I want that. And I want to bless you. But I'm convinced we've got to make a strategic shift that when we come together, there's a level of encouragement that we're missing right now. And I'm not sure what brings it together. Does it come together because there's pressure, or can we choose that when we come together, this thing has to happen amongst us, or we didn't have church today? So this community factor, it has the, the unity so that community can happen, so that that encouragement can happen. Because it's still in almost every church in America today. You can come in, you can sit, and you can leave without knowing anybody else. And you got a message, for sure. You learned a little more, important. Part of a pastor's job is to take the word and explain it. Break it, celebrate traditions of the church, communion, baptisms. Those are called ordinances. They're important. We do those. I think we do them well. But this thing on this community. And so pastor stands up and he talks about all of this. The pastor can't be the one who chooses community. I can have it in my heart and say it's important. But people have to also, you can't have community by yourself. You're like, that was so deep I don't understand it. Really, it's not. Dude, my bucket goes to a very short well. Just, just trust me, man. You can't have community all by yourself. You can have fellowship with the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. But we're not called to just fellowship with the Lord. We're called to community with each other. Hmm. It's only going to be by the Spirit of God. So I'm going to quit harping on it and let you have that and think about that. And I'll finish this message up real quick. Here's the last one. We need all generations to thrive can I say it one more time? We need all generations to thrive. Literally, when we rewrote on a staff retreat a few years ago what our purpose for existing was, we all agreed as leadership that the church exists so that all generations can engage Jesus. But it's not just one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. It's that as a group of people, we need to engage Jesus. And we have this awesome opportunity now that as we move into this next phase, where literally our best days are in front of us, we have the chance now to reshape what church is and what church can look like. Yep. What we do that's good, I always want to keep. The spirit of Jubilee, it's right. It's Jesus. It's always been good. But the things that we can do, that all generations have a place at the table, that all generations are needed, that all generations are necessary, that we can't afford to let one generation go. So our mission is empowering all generations to experience life in Jesus. This is 1 Corinthians 12. I, so, so we like write that down in a sentence because you're supposed to make it portable where people can read it and then take it with them. But here's how it's said in the Bible in a longer form. The human body has many parts. The many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us who are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. This is all the way back 2,000 years ago. 
but we have all been baptized. So we come from this very eclectic, multi-generational, multi-understanding, multi-whatever, and we all come into this one thing. We've been baptized into the life of Jesus Christ. And such were some of you, but now I've been washed, and I've been redeemed, and I've been sanctified, I've been brought into this body. I have a place in this body. So we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you be able to hear? And it would look pretty weird anyway. Or... If your whole body were an ear, how would you be able to smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect these parts that should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony amongst the members so that all the members care for each other. I think I'm failing on this part. So that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, then all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body. Does that mean anything? All of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. I'm be honest with you. I don't know how to do that. I don't. I don't know how to get it there. I think there are techniques, but I don't think techniques make this happen. This is something spiritually that has to take place in a body. Where someone doesn't feel less than someone else, or someone doesn't feel more than someone else. And that if one hurts, we all hurts, and if one does good, we all feel like we won. How does that happen? Not by might, not by spirit, or not by might, not by power, but by the spirit, says the Lord. It can only be by the spirit of God. Now, we can choose that, and I think that that's like our necessary part, but only by the spirit of God is it even powerful. All right, so, like, Pastor, I'm trying to come to terms with this, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work out something and be cathartic in front of you. I'm admitting weakness to you. I'm saying to you, We're not all that in a bag of chips. I'm saying to you, there's weakness here. I'm saying to you, I feel like there's places that I'm failing. I'm not saying that because I want you to like feel like, what kind of a church is that? Maybe it's the safest church in the world. Because the pastor doesn't think he's all that. Or he's got it all figured out. Or everything we're doing is just perfect. We've got a long way to go. But I want to go there. And I want you to go with me. When I first got into ministry, this old, old pastor, (laughs) he 
He's long since gone home to be with Jesus. This is back in the day when we called him brother and sister. That's how long ago it was. His name was Brother Hartshorn. Brother Hartshorn told me that he worked in Lima, Ohio. His first year in ministry, he made 25 cents a week. And the second year, they doubled it to 50 cents a week. And he thought he was in heaven. That's how long ago it was. And he told me, he gave me two pieces of advice. One I'll tell you. He said, when the leader thinks he's leading and he's out marching in front and trying to get somewhere, if he turns around and nobody's following him, that's not leading. You're taking a walk. <laughs> so turn around and go find your people before it's too late. I have no interest in going on a walk by myself. But I don't know how to turn something to where you've all come from so many different things and so many understandings and so many backgrounds and I'm not sure that we all even understand how vitally important this community is. So why do I feel so convicted about this right now? I am convinced that the days in front of us are going to require the church that thrives. Not the church at large. The church that thrives, Eric. The one that is prospering and abounding even if there's some pressure on it. That church, I'm convinced this thing has to change. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. I feel like I'm not, like God's challenging me. Your church isn't ready. And I'm not okay collecting a paycheck and preaching good and nailing our worship and getting into a new building. All of those things could disguise. Are you listening to me right now? Please listen to me. All of those things could disguise the health of our church. To where you could point at it and say, wow. But underneath could be great rot. I'm not disparaging our church or any other church. I'm not talking down. I'm not being ugly. I hope you can see it in my heart right now. I just feel like I'm being challenged. Our church, I can't worry about somebody else's church. Our church is not ready. And I got to move it. And I don't know how to do that. So I'm almost, I'm asking, partner with me. Help me. Read these notes again. Listen to the message again. Ask the Holy Spirit if there's anything for you in it. Do you have a place in this? See, in my mind, I would think if you can't read that scripture and think you don't have a place in this. But I'm not you. And maybe you're like, dude, I'm just trying to figure out what Bible to buy. That's great. And what a place. I'd actually, it'd probably be better for you if you don't know anything. And to learn this first. Than to learn how wrong we've done church for so long and have to figure out how to change now. And I'm talking to me more than I'm talking to you. I've become very skilled in doing Western church through the last 35 years and not where we need to go in the next 35 years. I'm going to say it one more time. Things are changing rapidly. We all want it to go back. Like, hey, the 90s called. They want the church back. It's not, not coming back. Not coming back. True? 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 
Evie girl, true. All right. Uh, Jake, I think you must have the answer for this. Come on up. And <laughs> Let's just pray. I really don't have a, there's not an altar call with it in particular for that type of decision. Although an altar call is not out of line right now either. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, Lord, I love our church. I love our church. Not a building, not a school, not a form. I love the people that sit in this church. People that I know and people that I want to know. People that I've spent time with and people that I need to spend time with. God, I love this church. And my love for it, Father, just, I know it's directed by your heart right now. I don't think you're disappointed. I don't think you're upset. I, don't th I think you look at us and you smile. I think you look at us and it, it brings pleasure to you. I think you look all around the world and maybe all of the media reports all of the bad stuff, but you know the truth. You know that there are billions of believers around the world today in all different places who love you and who are willing to lay it all down for you. And we're on a, a process of that. Some today are paying for it in extraordinary ways. And some today do it because we get to choose. And all of it's good in your eyes. But Lord, I know, I know you have specifically told us when you see these things, look up. Your redemption's coming close. I know we're moving into some times that are, they're not quite as clear. They're not quite as easy. They're not quite as carefree as they were in the past. But you called us right into the middle of that to be a light, to be strong, to be a place of safety, to be a place, Father, where people can come and be encouraged and find strength and find life and find answers. God, there's no human effort in that that'll make it reality by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, Jubilee opens up to you as never before. Holy Spirit, we need you like we've never needed you before. Holy Spirit, find in this house room to maneuver up and down aisles through people's hearts and in their lives. God, you can start with me. Do whatever you need to do in my heart and in my life, in Chris's life, in our family's life, our pastor's lives. With leadership, God, so that people can see that's what they're about there. They're about Jesus. God, let it be true. Let it be true. Father, I don't know how, but I know who. I know who. And we welcome you. While your heads are still bowed, let me just ask the question. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you thought you did, 
But all of a sudden you realize, I know about him, but I don't know him. Maybe when I was talking about how we prioritize church, you realize you've prioritized Christ that way. He's something amongst many things. And I'm going to tell you what he said. He can be the only thing. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, a truth, or a life. He's the only. And maybe this isn't for everybody right now in the room. Maybe it's just for you. If you're at that place in your life where you are like, I need to give my life to Christ. Maybe you have never, ever come close. Maybe you have, but now you're far away. Maybe you realize you were around it, but not really there. Whatever. You find yourself today in the place where you're like, Pastor, I hear it right now. I hear it right now. God's talking to me. I want to caution you. Don't ignore that and don't push that away. And I want to give you a chance to respond. I will not embarrass you, I promise. But I do want a chance to pray for you. If you say, Pastor John, I need Jesus. I hear it right now in my heart. I want to give my life to Christ today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? Just pray for me. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Anybody else? Yep, I see you. Anybody else? Just pray for me. You helping me look, Jake? Anybody else? Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Last time, you want to be prayed for. Yeah, I see you back there. Thank you. You can put them back down. Okay, there's not a right or wrong way to do this. There's no memorized prayer. No, it's just from your heart right now. What you have inside of you that's going on, tell God, yes. Literally, God, I need you. God, help me. God, be merciful to me. God, I open my life to you right now. Yes, Jesus. There may be a number of things that in your mind you're like, what about this or how do I do that? Lay them aside right now. Lay them aside. They're all peripheral things right this second. The thing, the common denominator, I need Jesus. I need him right now. Father, for every person, who in great humility is willing to say in front of people around them, I need Jesus. There's no shame in it. There's great power in it. The Father himself reaches his hand out to you. He reconciles you with him right now. He offers you his love and his mercy and his grace. As you give up all the other things and just say, God, here I am. Here am I. I promise you, like a metal to magnet, the Father comes to you. So I pray right now that nothing will come in and derail the simple faith to believe that you need God and that God loves you. That he offers you his forgiveness today. His life today his love, his friendship. 
we're super grateful that you found Jesus. I'm personally grateful that it happened here in this house. I ask that the Holy Spirit seal this now in each of your lives and that the enemy can't come in and steal this seed in any way. God, I pray that this seed right here that you'd give us, plant it in the ground and give us more people who will find Jesus in this house. I ask for that, Lord. I thank you for your mercy and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.